0: If you would please open to Acts chapter two, we will get into the Word together. All right, this uh, this passage that we're going to open up this morning. Maybe you have heard several messages before; it's familiar. But we ask the Lord to give us uh, fresh eyes for what we're looking at, but more than that, a fresh understanding and faith to go after what he lays out as what a church body, what a church family is to represent and be about. So we look at uh, chapter 2, verse 42. We're going to go through verse 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Lord, we ask for the the blessing and the anointing for the preaching of your word. Amen. You know, you may have come across... Um, how websites and social media platforms use algorithms to figure out who you are, what you like, and they keep feeding you that stuff. It's the old, uh, you were talking to somebody about purchasing a, a lawn chair, and all of a sudden you've got lawn chair ads on your phone when you open it up. Spooky stuff like that. That's all attached to algorithms. It's all attached to we want to figure out what you're doing. Now, social media platforms, their whole goal, and they've admitted this in the documentary called The Network, their whole goal is to keep you online. The longer they can keep you online, the longer they can show you ads, the more they can make money. So, problem or issue solved. They want us to stay online. But this, remember back to eHarmony? Way back when, the first uh, uh, matchmaking website that was there, that began to use algorithms to match compatibility. Now social media uh, platforms want to use those algorithms, but what they're doing is they're finding out what they think is compatible with us. But that then turns into our wants and needs and desires, as well as political perspectives. There's a reason that we're, when we're online, we see all the stuff that we agree with. And we really don't see the stuff we don't agree with. That's, that's all algorithm-based. Now, going back, putting this together with the year 2020, doozy of a year. From the pandemic with all the opinions that were going on, and then the, the, the disagreements and the how, what's really going on, and are we being lied to, and, and then the disagreements with, with, with vaccinations and what we should do and, and not do, and what does it mean to follow the Lord in this? But remember, in the summer of 2020, there was the, just the social and cultural unrest following the George Floyd death up in Minnesota. And then we ended the year with the presidential election, that just polarized so many in so many aspects. So there, there was, and, and I think the, the fallout from the year 2020 that we're living in today, I believe, uh, is that they, everybody felt forced to pick a side and to stay on that side till death do us part. So the algorithms had a field day in 2020. But our, our post-pandemic relationships have taken on these algorithmic tones. Because of all the time we spent online when we were confined to our homes. And we're living what, what relationships got replaced with, and particularly, uh, I think in many ways, the church body relationships that we are to have with one another... Uh, what got replaced in our lives was this tribalism that emerged. We, were, we, were, we figured out who our tribe was. We're the anti-vaccine tribe, or no, we're the vaccine tribe, or we're the, uh, the conservative tribe, or no, we're the, the social uh, desire tribe. So these tribes emerged. And what we saw, and, and as I've talked to pastors uh, that I know throughout this country, Every church, no matter the size, is now, and every pastor is trying to ask the questions, what do we do with the tribalism? Some aren't using that word. But what do we do with the factions? What do we do with this weird self-defense mechanism that's been put up in everybody to say, don't you touch on my perspectives? Don't don't you touch on what I think? And if I don't agree with you, (laughs) we're not hanging out. So what does that mean for our church? What does it mean for what we just read in these verses? There are political tribes. There are generational tribes. You ask the, the boomer generation what they think of younger generations. They don't understand younger generations. And you saw this. Uh, I, I, I remember this with uh, after the George, uh, George Floyd death, older... Um, older generation not understanding and, and suspicious but fearful of what was being talked about in the younger generation but based on different experiences but we have we have generational tribes we have workout tribes you're you're just committed to your workout it's crossfit or it's this that's what you do or what i think most happened the is we have family tribes now that we're more devoted to. And I think that was a good thing that came out of the pandemic, that everybody being together, uh, they, they wanted to hang out with their family. It was then good, and so you didn't see your extended family, and so you wanted to hang out with your extended family. Those things can be redeeming and helpful, but our commitment level to those things has increased. And for the most part, church commitment has waned. I'll explain that in a little while. But you see it in people's loyalty. The loyalty can easily become about one's tribe than about one's spiritual family. This passage is not based on any mathematical algorithm, praise God. This is based on new life, which is resurrection life that has been given to God's people in the form of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So this is a relational algorithm that is to characterize the church of Jesus Christ. And these qualities that we'll go through and we see in this passage, and we see clearly, they are to characterize church. It's my prayer that we would continue to strive to be a church that is just in awe of God. We just are in awe of his greatness and his wonder and the exaltation of Jesus. Now, these qualities are not something that t- we, we, we should be careful about how we seek to perfect them. They are qualities for us to pursue, but not necessarily perfect, because we're not going to be perfect in them. But it starts with what Luke says in the third word of verse 42. It starts with devotion. They devoted themselves. As I said, devotion, and, and what were they devoted to? They were devoted to new life. Devotion and commitment have, have taken a reordering. They've, they've gone in a, an adjustment mode in our minds. Because a lot of times we will go for what is more expedient rather than take the time to invest in the relationships around us. I think that got accelerated in the aftermath uh, during the pandemic and the aftermath of all of 2020. But what are they devoted to? New life. Now, remember, this is... Uh, the spirit is in them. So there is a literal new, new life inside of them. The old uh, Ezekiel 36 has been fulfilled. The old heart of stone has been taken out. The heart of flesh has been put in. God's spirit has been made to dwell inside of his people. And so they get together and they say, we're going to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now let's think about what that meant back then. The apostles spent most of their time, I think, connecting how Jesus was uh, prophesied about in the Old Testament and how he fulfilled all of those prophecies. That's a fun time to be in that moment. Hearing You're hearing Peter connect. This is what the Spirit said through Joel. This is what the Spirit said through David. He's connecting them to the Old Testament. I think their minds were continually blown as they just say, That was about Jesus? Oh, and that's been fulfilled. And the excitement that was about that, uh, that experience and that illumination that the Spirit was giving. But there was a devotion to growing in this, growing in the ways that Jesus was foreshadowed in the Old Testament and all that he accomplished for our salvation. And they also remember what Jesus taught them in Matthew 28, 19 and 20 with the Great Commission. go. And teach everybody to do what? Observe what I have commanded you. They're they're being obedient. So the apostles' teaching is, how do we find Jesus in the scriptures and how do we obey him? Simple. We often complicate it. So they're they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're also devoted to, and and there's the the definite article, the, in, in front of all of these, the fellowship. New life in Christ was connected to a new family with a shared experience. We have experienced the indwelling of the Spirit that makes us family, that makes us God's people. So now God brings these people together. And look, this bringing together is a new tribe of sorts, but it's not a tribe that's based on shared desires or shared privileges or shared perspectives. This is something that God it wasn't tribal in protecting those areas of our lives this fellowship was a new family it was a spiritual family representing all the nations of the world remember this is the day of Pentecost that's coming after this people hear the, the the praises of God extolling God in their own native languages and they're asking what is this and then what do I do And so they're adding to the church day by day And they're adding people that they would have never probably chosen in their own way to hang out with, ever. And that's what the gospel does. And that's why church is very, gospel church is very different than any societal club or philanthropic union that exists on the planet. And most of the time, you have you have clubs that get together that we want to do... We're going to say we're going to do this, but really it's just an excuse to get together and party. That's how uh, we have it in, in Mardi Gras Cruz. We have it in... Like, what philanthropic thing are you doing? They're doing something. Uh, fraternities and sororities on college campuses, they're all about serving the community as they serve each other drinks every weekend. I mean, it's just... What, it's just we find people that we want to get together with and have a good time. The church is different. Because when we do that, we're figuring out, what tribe do I like to be a part of? And do we have common interests? Do we like each other? Do we dress the same? Do we think the same? We're looking to connect ourselves that way. And, because it makes us feel safe. It makes us feel, all right, I'm a part of a group. But the church puts you in proximity to people that you would never, ever, ever choose to be around. Years ago, we had a gentleman who was part of the church. He's uh, with Jesus now, but he went to Alabama, and he was a part of our church. And we had to bear with him as Alabama won championship after championship after championship. But I, I appreciated this. I wouldn't have, our, our lives just would never have crossed had it not been for the salvation that we have in Christ. But yet, my, my LSU Tiger tribalism, his Alabama Crimson Tide tribalism, didn't supersede what Jesus has done. Now that's an easy example. But when we start picking on how we think about life, our political views, the values that we we walk out, we have to ask the question, am I more committed to my tribe, even if it's a tribe that you don't quite know because it's just online, than I am to investing in the people that are around me. Because God has put us in proximity with the fellowship, with people that we would have never come in contact with. Why? Why? so we can demonstrate to one another and to heavenly beings that are looking on the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus as he transforms us day after day into the glory of Jesus as we're looking at him. So we have a shared experience of the deposit of the Spirit. We have a shared union in Christ. We have a shared mission in being all for his glory, in being everything that he is for his glory. And they're committed, they're devoted to the breaking of bread. Uh, This is a reference to the communion meal that Jesus said at the Last Supper, do this in remembrance of me. But when they were doing this, we know it from this context, we also know it from other scriptures in the New Testament, that the breaking of bread for communion wasn't like we do it. First Sunday of the month, we have a little table, everybody walks up. It wasn't like that, it was part of a bigger meal. They got together and had a feast. And during that feast is when they broke bread together and remembered Jesus. So there was a commitment to say that the breaking of bread was, let's get together and eat, share a meal, spend time together, because meals were not quick. You had, you, you, it, was a, it was a staying time. It was a relational investment time. But each time that they remember the Lord with their communion, not just communion in elements of bread and wine, it was communion in where we are fellowshipping with one another, we have the same union in Christ. But every time they did that, remember they're anticipating Jesus' return. These are the same ones that heard Jesus say, I'll be back. And they're, they're expecting him to be back. We can learn from that, huh? We get just used to the rhythm of our lives. And a lot of times we just... No, we are to live with an urgency about Jesus' imminent return. We're to live that way. Even though I, I think think it's going to be a little while, because I do think, I see in Scripture that some things need to be put in place before Jesus comes back, there needs to be an, a greater elevation, even though it's weird, there's a greater elevation of rebellion on the earth, but unity in that rebellion, so I think there's other things, look, we preach through Revelation, you're welcome to go find that on the, uh, the website, and listen to it again, but I, I think, and I also remember, he's coming back on Rosh Hashanah, Feast of Trumpets, it's usually in September, I would love for it to be this September. I would love for it. I hope I'm wrong in my looking at Revelation and thinking what Jesus said in Mark 14, putting that together. I hope my pieces are completely wrong and he proves me wrong and I'll just say, you're here. (laughs) Yes, I'm glad I was wrong. But we are to live as if his return is imminent. Oh, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. But we remember, he delays because he saves. He still wants to save. We have loved ones that we want him to save. We have children we want him to save. We have people that we don't even know that we want him to save. And they're committed to the prayers. Now, I think the definite article, the prayers, is not just, I think this does reference, they're committed to praying together. Yes, I think that was happening. But there is the definite article, the prayers. I think in the early church, what they were doing, and and there's there's historical documentation, I think, that lends to to this interpretation. Uh, They were writing their prayers down in a creedal way. And so uh, maybe you grew up in a formalized religious structure where you had to say the prayers over and over and over again and you said them so much you didn't have to think about them anymore and you're thinking about something else while you're saying the prayers. That was for the purpose of remembering but also passing on. And what they were doing, God was using their prayer time together to codify doctrine, to codify the apostles' teaching. And so that's where creeds kind of started. They started as prayers, as recognition of this is why we're together and this is, this is why we're pointed together, especially as attacks on Jesus, which is start uh, right after the first century, the, the latter part of the first century. You've got attacks on Jesus' divinity already. They're saying, um, we don't think Jesus was really man. He was fully God. I don't think he was really man well, you have that in that moment, saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! We have to codify what we believe," and then you got councils coming together, and all the church leaders are coming together. But what started was the prayers. They they connect us. They remind us why we're connected together. But it also means this. Don't lose this. It means they got together and prayed. We're going to see that in a couple chapters when the place that they're praying is shaken and they're all filled with the Spirit and go out and speak the word with boldness. I love that story. But what are they doing? The prayers and the concerted, whether it's private or corporate, they are, they're asking for God to advance his kingdom. They're still on mission, and they took seriously their access to God in the indwe- by the, the Spirit's indwelling in their hearts. We have God who listens to our prayers. He listens to every single one, even the ones that we just kind of cast out in our weakness, uh, just say in our weakness, or maybe in our frustration. He's not bothered by those. He hears all, and he saves them, saves them. Every single one. Now, these qualities, the apostles' teaching, uh, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayers, they're laid out by by Luke for our amazement. Like, wow, this is pretty cool that this was happening. Because we recognize how the gospel reorders our relationships and our lives as we are a new family. But they're also described for us to lay out for the church, here's what it should look like. Here's what church experience should look like. And in some ways, they're non-negotiable qualities. So when you think about signs and wonders, that's non-negotiable. No, we don't go after those, but we expect them because when we're going after what God says, this is what our experience is to be. We have to, church, we have to anticipate miracles. And a lot of times, I think we give God an out because we don't want to be disappointed in our prayers. We don't want to hear God say no or wait. So we just, God, just you, when you, uh, if you desire, so let's be bold. Let's be bold in our prayers. So they are devoted to their new life, and there's an evidence of new life. And this is where signs and wonders come in. Remember, when Jesus performed miracles, they authenticated, they proved his message. So God... I think does, he wants the same experience for us as, as signs and wonders. Just, we have things that we're amazed by all the time. It doesn't have to fit particularly in categories where there's a lame person, we pray over them and they jump up and run out the church. I hope that would be awesome. God would bless us to see something like that. But you know what's also very amazing and wondrous? I remember years ago we had a men's meeting that was sitting right here and a gentleman who had just become a part of the church, uh, just came to that, he had maybe a month with his family, and we took the chairs right here, we circled them up, and I forget what we were going through. Uh, here, here's a man who just said, we're, we're talking about the gospel, and he finally just said, I've never heard anything like this before. What do I need to do? I mean, it was a, it was a, Acts 2 moment. And I explained the gospel again, asked me if you believe that, led him in a simple prayer, but all the other men around were like, that's amazing. I've never seen that happen before. Signs and wonders. The sign of salvation and the wonder that it would happen in front of us. That's still amazing. It's not left to the experts. God wants to use everybody who is indwelled by his spirit. He wants to use everybody. That gentleman is also in heaven. So, yes, when we're part of the church, one day we'll go to heaven. That's what that means. But when when we heard that he died, we recognized, wow, God, he just died a couple years after praying to receive Christ, committing his life. And it's like, Lord, you used us to to, uh, to usher him into the kingdom. We're really thankful for that. But we, church, we want to expect the evidence of our lives in walking out the truth to be with signs and wonders, big miracles and small miracles, in our estimation, all of it. If God does it, it's a miracle. But can we anticipate it? Can we look for it? And can we lean upon God in a way that says, God, I'm I'm not interested in trying to protect my emotions or my disappointments. I just want to trust you. Even if it's with God, change my mind, change how I act, whatever it is, expect God to do something glorious. And there was also the evidence of togetherness. They had a unity. They're day by day doing what? They're attending the temple and breaking bread in their homes. They're together at church. They're together in their homes. They recognize that this new family is not just something you visit, it's something you live, and you live with one another. And then we have the evidence of their meeting of needs. Now the selling of the possessions, this was not this was not compulsory. When everybody became a Christian during this time, they didn't say, All right, sell everything you have, come put it in this pot. That was they wouldn't have homes then to meet in, right? They were meeting house to house. They they were enjoying that. But the surplus that people had, people recognized, and God moved on their hearts just to say, I don't need that. And there's a need right here that I want to meet. And we see that though right now it's glorious, in a few chapters, some people are saying, I don't get any food, and I don't have any money, and I was getting food, but now I'm not getting food, and I kind of think it's because I'm Greek. And that's exactly what was happening. And the apostles said, we we, we can't be serving tables. We've got to go study the word, but we need deacons to be able to serve. They weren't doing it well. They had to work on it. They had to grow into that. But there was the meeting of needs, the selling of possessions and having everything in common was that there was no lack among the church, among the people in the church. It was it was voluntary as moved by the spirit and they were also the evidence of this new life is in the proclamation of truth look in uh, verse 47 praising god having favor with all the people i don't think that's just church people I think that's the lost as well. They were still in their lives interacting with the lost in order to proclaim truth with their lives and with their words. And look, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. They were preaching the gospel. They were doing it with their lives. They were doing it with their words. And God was adding to them. That's an evidence. If we're, if we're living that, I think we also have to expect that when people are in our lives and God, we know God brings them into our lives in a particular way, we, we want to expect salvation too. Not, oh, I don't know if I have all the words. I've got to get them in front of the right person. Lord. I have no idea what to say. Your promise is that your spirit will give me the words. I want to be available. I want to expect that the spirit will show up in that way, and I want to expect that something's going to happen. That's what the spirit does for us, because it's not up to us. (laughs) He's doing it. It's the Lord adding to their number. They're not going out trying to figure out, they haven't figured out this gospel algorithm that touches everybody's hearts. No, God is doing it. And God continues to do it to this day. And what I love about this scenario of these early believers is that there was a joy about their new life. Look, with glad and generous hearts, they received their food. So in this communal thing, they were, they were having fellowship dinners all the time. It was like a big, huge picnic almost every day probably. And, but they were receiving God's provision with glad. And generous hearts. They're, they're experiencing fellowship with glad and generous hearts. That's a move of God. It's not because everybody, we see that relationships break down and they don't fulfill, but there, there is an element where God provides what, just who He is. That makes us glad to be part of His church, that makes us glad to give as a part of His church. We see this in the Old Testament uh, when God, in 1 Kings chapter 8, it's a story of, of Solomon has finished the temple and the Spirit of God has come. And the Spirit, it was, this presence was so thick and heavy and glorious. That the word glory in Hebrew just means weight. And so under this weight, the priest couldn't even stand up to minister because God made himself known that day. Then for a week, there was a celebration and here on the eighth day. Solomon sent the people away and they blessed the king and went to their homes joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had shown to David his servant and to Israel his people. Oh church, that we would be a glad people. We would be glad in who God is, in the provision that he has, not not complaining about what we don't have, but glad for all that God has done in us. And even if it's a smidge of growth, glad for that. Lord, thank you. Thank you that there's some growth. But there's awe upon souls. Don't know. When I read that, something in my heart, you know, sometimes you read Scripture and there's a connection point, like I know exactly what that means. I felt it. There have been moments where I've been awed. At God. But sadly, I feel like it's more intermittent than it should be. Oh, that we would be awed by God. Just because He's God and He's good and He loves us. That we would, every time we come together as a church, whether it's on Sundays, whether it's uh, in a a men's study, and we we have some ideas, Kerr and I were talking, that we want to be able to to do these little modules coming up and address just life issues that are going on inside of us. When we meet in those times, we want to be awed at God's work in others, at God's work in ourselves, That means we need to have some grace for ourselves because we feel like we should be farther along, but that's something we put on ourselves. God doesn't put on us. We need to have awe. And I think that awe uh, is closely tied to praise. Praising God. Praising God for everything. Not, Not sunken into ourselves, but praising Him for this new life. So there is a devotion that we are to have this New life. There's an expectation for the evidence of that new life in our midst, and there is a joy to this new life. And what does this mean for us? I think we need to reengage and just have a fresh, fresh vision for investing in this new life family. Um, back before the pandemic, years ago, I read a book that uh, the author said, you know, people typically have two slots for church in their life. If if you think of one of those big Lego pieces that you would use to connect long pieces of maybe there's people have 8 or maybe you got just great capacity you got 16 slots in your Lego piece of life. And two were typically for church. And one of those slots was filled on Sundays. Yeah, that was easy. People it was part of the commitment level, the devotion level. People did that, and they continued to do that. But then the other one was usually for something else. Some churches do um, a prayer night during the week. Others do small groups. Uh, some do an evangelistic opportunity weekly. And so other, that other slot would be filled in by something during the week. And I have had this thought, and I've asked other pastors, and they've agreed with me. After the pandemic... It's, what's now happened, I think, is that most people don't have two slots in their Lego piece of life. They have one. And that one is just going to be whenever. So if family something comes up, eh, church. And now, with the blessing of having it online, it's easy to say, well, I'll just wait and watch it. Just do it another time which we all know we don't do that, right? I know that. We, we have to get a fresh wind of God's spirit for the investment that God wants us to have as a church. Because as we sow it, you know, it's... What has been what was sad uh, years ago, right after the pandemic, I watched people who had a a commitment that one slot was a committed slot. Now it's barely a guiding principle for church to affect life. It's like, yeah, just whatever. But God doesn't give us that room to say that. He says, this is your new family. Commit, invest, invest. And we know as we sow into that, we will reap. Now, some of you, you might be thinking, well, I I do this, and many of you do, I do the Sunday thing, but what about the other things? What about the investment that comes with that second slot? What about the investment from home to home? What about the investment that looks like, I want to invite some people over for dinner that are outside of my tribe. I don't know them. Just to see what the Lord does. I know some of you are doing that, but I think this is a, this is a whatever you're doing, what is God calling you in the next step of what you're doing? Does that make sense? I believe that's what the Lord is communicating to us. Couple quotes to finish with. First, first I saw Dietrich. Um, first, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, oh, German pastor, was was executed at the behest of Adolf Hitler. He said this. This book Life Together, awesome book. The Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself he cannot help himself without beliling the truth. We get confused about the truth. We we start thinking the truth is something else than the truth. He continues. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. We need one another to speak the word of God to us. Amen? We need that. Antonio Tony Marita gives us a, good, a few good questions. Are you complaining about a lack of community rather than asserting yourself to serve and love others in your congregation? Good question. Good question to bring before the Lord. Do you show up to events and meetings faithfully? Do you arrive early enough to interact with people on Sunday? Or are you a ninja, slipping in late and excusing yourself before the service ends? Are you involved in others' lives throughout the week? Are you sensitive to the needs of your brothers and sisters? See, that, that day-by-day, house-to-house part of who we are as a church That's when needs are discovered. Even if it's just simply prayer needs. But as the church, we want to be looking to meet those needs. What what can I do to help you? Even if it's something awesome like selling off something so you can help. Just watch for the evidence of God's grace to show up. Are you grateful for them? Have you told them about what they mean to you? Oh, that's good. This gives us some some marching orders from today, right? How we can love and build one another as a church. So, if somebody's not here right now, and you've thought about them already, oh, I didn't see so and so. That is the Holy Spirit, not to, for you to tell me to contact them. That is the Holy Spirit telling you, reach out. Just telling me, thinking about it. Because some people I know, some people who are, are not here are going through a really tough time in their lives right now. And they would love just to be encouraged by having somebody think about them. Say, hey, I'm praying for you. I did that last week and I found out, oh, there's a lot going on. We, we need to be praying, we need to be more in touch. But that's not just for the, the experts. That's for the church to own that's every single one of us who are looking to build the person that we're in church with. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for the greatness of your glory that we get to experience. Um, God, we we leave today with two things. We want to expect miracles in our lives and two, Lord, we want to, we want to love on the people that are with us in this church. That's really what we want to do. Help us, empower us, and God, grow this church because of the love that we have for one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's be reminded of our commission. And Jesus said, and early believers were following, we want to do the same thing. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer for that miracle that you thought of, come meet me up here. I'll pray for you. God bless you.